I think the first step for me was acknowledging that money was emotional. I, I love to say this because I think this, this feeling that we get, right? Like, oh my God, I don't want to put the money away just in case I lose it. Like, what happens if I do something really stupid? And all these feelings come into place. Just acknowledging that that feeling is normal, that we all have it. We've all been through that feeling. And putting yourself in a position where you feel, you know, confident about it or you're comfortable with that level of risk. I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespot.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women, author of You're Not Broke, You're Privileged, and host of The Wallet. In today's Stock Market 101 session, we're going back to investment basics. For this exercise, I speak to qualified chartered accountant and founder of This Girl Invests, Prana Kemlani, a passionate advocate for educating and encouraging women to get financially confident. Despite working in the financial industry, Prerna still found the information around personal finance difficult to understand and apply to her life. It was because of this frustration that she decided to launch her Instagram account, This Girl Invests, which now serves as a community for women to learn more and take control of their financial futures. So today on The Wallet, we speak about three things. One, we're taking a step back and learning about the foundations of the stock market and investing. Prerna walks us through the basics, including what exactly is the stock market and how does it work, what is the stock and what's the difference between stocks and funds. Two, there's always some risk associated with investing. So we discuss how to evaluate said risk and how to know what is comfortable for you, as well as the returns you can expect to see from your investments. Three, it can be hard to know where you start investing. And Prerna offers valuable tips on how you can research companies to get a feel for the market, as well as how to build your confidence and get some skin in the game. I'd also like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, PensionBee. PensionBee has helped over 400,000 customers be pension confident. It enables savers to take control of their finances by helping them transfer their old pensions together into one simple online plan. With PensionBee, you can manage your pension like you manage your bank account, check your real-time balance, see your projected retirement income, and set up contributions and withdrawals all from the palm of your hand. Plus, you get human support from your very own UK-based account manager, what Pension B calls them, Beekeeper. You can sign up to Pension B today with the names of your old pension providers in just five minutes. And if you're self-employed, you can start a new pension from scratch. As always with investments, your capital is at risk. Please note that information made available on this podcast is provided for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. If you have any questions, you should seek advice from an independent financial advisor. Hi, Prana. Hello. Yeah, it's good to see you. I mean, virtually, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it is. It's lovely. Happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. So we see each other a lot on Instagram, your account, This Girl Invests. And you talk to I mean, women about you know investing money, your journey. And what's quite interesting is you're a qualified chartered accountant. And that's what I wanted to talk about is basically, you know, what's your day job? What do you do? What do you do on, on you know, educating women and why, why is it important to you? But I think we're going to spend most of the, you know, our time today talk about how... 
Do we look at businesses? What's a stock price? What are stock markets? Because in the end, we're doing a lot of things like talking about how do you invest and buy stocks and stuff. But if you don't know what's a stock, <laughs> then I thought it would, it would be quite cool to um, to take a step back, deep dive a little bit in. Um, we'll try to limit the jargon, but maybe, you know, explain the, the, the main terms um, and everything. So maybe just to start with, can I ask you to introduce yourself, tell me, you know, what's your day job and this girl invests. Absolutely. Uh, I totally agree. I can't wait to talk about simplifying finance. I definitely agree that there's way too much jargon out there. Um, so a little bit about me. So I'm Pranam. Hi all. I'm um, a Spindian. So a Spanish Indian is what I like to call myself because <laughs> I was born in Spain, uh, but my parents are Indian. And now I live in London. So <laughs> a bit of everything. My day job is actually, well, I'm in the process of transition, but basically I was a financial controller. And that's basically someone who's responsible for communicating a business's numbers to external investors. And there's always a predetermined format to the way we communicate this through what is called, what a document called a annual report or financial statements. So I was responsible for preparing those. Um, I'm now transitioning into a more internal finance role. So looking more at um, how does the business I work at make money? And, you know, are we making money because we're selling more products or more profitable products? So looking at things from a more commercial perspective. So, yeah, very uh, in the numbers, very finance driven. But I always like to point this out, regardless of someone working in a finance position in a company, personal finance is very different. And the jargon that you encounter at work doesn't necessarily always relate the same to the way you look at it from your personal finances. So if there's anyone out there working in finance thinking, oh my God, I still don't understand it. Don't worry. I was there. I had no idea what was going on. No one teaches us. Same here, Prana, same here. <laughs> no one teaches about personal finance. So it should definitely be taught in schools, but that's what we're here for. And this Gun Invest was born basically out of that, the frustration that no one ever sat us down and told us, you know, this is what you're meant to do. I think there's a lot of expectation in society for parents to do so, but sometimes parents also don't know. And then that kind of goes down through generations. So uh, my family is actually a single parent family. So my mom didn't really get that kind of education. I sort of had to pick it up on my own. And there was there was just so much jargon, like, even though I was in the industry and I, I almost felt stupid. I was like, I don't get this because it's so different. But the more you read, you realize that actually in finance, there's a lot of words that are almost used exchangeably between each other. And because different countries you know, have different names for the same thing, you may get confused. You may be reading something that in the US is completely irrelevant, but in the UK might not. So sometimes that can be overwhelming. But yeah, the more I learned and understood about this and, and simplified it in my mind, I was like, there needs to be a better way of explaining this to people <laughs> without making it too complicated. And and that that's really where it was born. I thought investing was very interesting, something I'm very passionate about because often people don't talk about it when they're young but it's probably quite important to start early because time's a very big factor when it comes to investing and that's why I love to talk to women about investing and to get them to think about it and not be scared about it. And, and thank you for telling me your, your story of you know you working in finance and not necessarily taking care of your own personal finances. I had the same story working you know in banking in private equity even like investing was actually my job <laughs> and I wasn't investing for myself so when you know, when do you actually start? When do you learn these things? You know, that, yeah, I mean, it's part of the curriculum, but it's taking time and it's it's not an easy topic to, to teach and especially investing because we know that to start investing, you need to be financially secure, at least at the minima, have some, you know, emergency savings, have repaid like your expensive debts, but you can also start on the side. But now what we've seen is that during the pandemic, people have 
mostly like saved a lot of money and now they all want to invest. And for a lot of people, investing is, you know, yeah, just buying like a few stocks in companies or buying some cryptos and just hoping to make like a quick gain. So today we'll talk about, you know, what's behind this stocks and these companies because stocks are just pieces of companies. So maybe we'll start with that and you can tell me what are assets to start with. So when you invest, what do you actually buy? What do you do with your money? That is so good. I think it's so good to start with assets because I think it gets thrown around a lot. And I remember thinking, what is an asset? (laughs) um, (laughs) So here we are. So really an asset is something that you can buy that will then tend to appreciate in value, ideally, right? There's really two types of assets you can buy. You can buy assets that appreciate in value or depreciate in value so you know a car might be in our mind an, an asset but really if you went out say you bought i don't know a bentley or a volkswagen and you literally took it out of the road automatically if you tried to sell it it would have lost value because it's been used and so there are things that you could buy that that may seem and are called assets but actually are depreciating and they lose value so really you want to try and focus on those assets that you buy that then do appreciate so we're thinking you know real estate so like property uh, we're thinking shares, we're thinking bonds, funds, those sort of things. But yeah, it, it becomes difficult to really understand those because it's not as tangible as maybe property is, but it is also very value adding and almost probably easier to get into investing than it was property because property you need a big deposit. And whereas with investing you, these days, you can literally start from you know one pound to 25 pounds. So it's quite an, a good place to start when you're early in your financial journey. Yeah. And when we look at, uh, I mean, this is like traditional investing. So people will go into, yeah, maybe like the, the four asset classes you mentioned. I think there's maybe, you know, we talked about savings. So there's cash, shares, equity stocks, which are like the same thing more or less, but you, 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 we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> the bonds, so fixed income and then, and then property. And you can also go into property by buying, actually by investing in property via funds. So you don't necessarily need to you know, own a property. But what about at the moment we're talking maybe cryptocurrencies? I get a lot of questions about, you know, crowdfunding and should I invest in a startup? And, and people think that you know, doing that or traditional investment is actually the same thing. But these are called alternative investments. Can you tell me a little bit more about this and why they tend to be more risky than more traditional investing? Yeah, so alternative investments are really anything, as we said, that don't fall into the main categories. And you can make money from so many different ways. I mean, or lose money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Make or lose money. Exactly. There's a a luxury handbag market. There's fancy wine, art. I mean, investing, I think when it comes to the forefront of our mind through movies, it seemed to be a very exciting thing. It doesn't have to be. I mean, there's quotes out there that say that actually investing should be boring (laughs) because you just put your money somewhere safe and it grows and that's what you want it to do. But yeah, alternative investments are anything that wouldn't fall into the main category. So there's tons and tons and and the industry is growing. They're risky really because they tend to be quite niche. So, I mean, if you ask me if I would be able to invest in a fancy wine or I'd probably be quite easily caught out and just buying something that doesn't really have value because I would not know about that niche market. So it requires a lot of upfront knowledge in order to be able to invest sometimes in some of these alternative investments. So, you know, picking out which out of the main cryptocurrencies are actually going to grow in value versus just picking randomly because you read it on the internet. <laughs> it's very easy to get caught out with the alternatives. So it's definitely a tread with caution when it comes to those. And I think it's, you know, these alternative markets have been 
developed because of, you know, wealthy investors actually wanted to diversify from more traditional investment because traditional investment can, you know, bear lower risk and then lower return. And, they, you know, you maybe they wanted to have this pocket of investment that have a potential for, you know, more growth. And, and you're right, it's about like expertise and understanding Maybe there's, you know, the volatility is higher. Maybe you may not be able to actually sell your investment. You know, what about these really like cool wines or a piece of art? Yeah, you need to, to sell these things. So they're not necessarily very, very liquid. So today we'll focus on the one that we know that most people know best because they usually have maybe pensions or like already investment through ISA is, you know, investing in the in the stock market. So I'm going to start by asking you, what is the stock market and, and, and how does it work and why why does it exist, basically? Yeah, this is such a good question. I think it's important to understand the history of it in order to be able to understand where we've come to, to the current structure today. Really, going back to what a stock is or a share is, is really the same thing. It's just a piece of a company. And back in the day, it would really be a piece of paper. So it would be a piece of paper that I would have that would say, oh, you know, this is Prana owns five shares that means she owns i don't know 10 percent of the company let's say and really it's, it's ownership of of businesses and the only way to exchange these say i wanted to sell it would be to actually go to a location um say the london stock exchange i'd actually physically go there and meet other people that were hoping to buy or also to sell in order for me to exchange this piece of paper i'd say okay well this piece of paper now is yours and you give me that one almost like yeah just exchanging shares essentially in a location now with time, obviously, that no longer works. It just doesn't make sense to have a physical location. So the way it works is through technology. And the more technology there is, the more complicated the financial system is getting. And yeah, so it's basically a location online where we can buy and sell shares. And you wouldn't really know who you're selling to because you do it through what is called a broker or a system. But it's basically you can go through someone else to find you a seller. So you don't, so you don't, you don't have to be going knocking or speaking to random people to try and sell something. Yeah, originally, I think, you know, companies would, would sell their shares because they would need to raise money. I mean, usually maybe someone would have, you know, founded a company. Maybe, you know, I've launched Vespa. I have 100% of the company. But at some point I decide, yeah, I want to, you know, raise money. So I, I just value my business, value my equity. And I decide, okay, Prana, do you want to buy a share in, <laughs> in Vespa? and the share is yeah. you know whatever a thousand pound and you decide to uh, to buy it so that's how yeah people you know acquire your shares in businesses and that's how businesses get funding so that's one way to get funding and we'll talk about bonds later on which is like another way for companies to get yeah money in their companies or money back to their shareholders it depends but now that you talked about the stock market what are market indices what's you know a market index and if you can give us a few examples yeah so really indices are uh, the singles index is a collation of companies within a specific stock exchange that are the top now when we say the top it can be so many different things right like is it top because they're earning loads of money revenue or is it through like market cap there's different for different indexes for different indices it's the top is calculated differently but each country really wants to have an index in order to, to see how they are performing economically. Like, are, is there a lot of exchange of, you know, money and are people willing to invest and how are the, you know, the people of the country feeling? So it's a way that countries monitor uh, their economic activity. 
And so the most popular ones that come to mind right now are like the FTSE 100. I took so long to learn how to say that because I would always read FTSE and be like, how on earth do I say it? It's FTSE. <laughs> it's FTSE 100. <laughs> and basically it's the top 100 companies within the, the London Stock Exchange. And then you have uh, another one that comes to mind is the S&P 500, which is the top 500 companies in, in the in the US stock exchange. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic way to group a lot of companies together and to see how overall uh, a specific country is, is performing because you're looking at, at, you know, a diversified group of companies together. And you're actually able to invest in these, which we'll come to probably later on when we talk about funds. Can you explain what is an IPO then? Because let's take this example of Vespod, like I'm a private company. At the moment, you can't buy stock in Vespod unless, you know, you, you, you're doing like a private transaction. So, you know, What do you need to do to then be like a public company and be able to offer your shares to, you know, a much bigger number of people? Yeah. So as we've said already, we've got businesses, right? And, and they're first private and then they're looking to actually get money from the general public. That's why we call it going public. And it would be really difficult for a company to go knocking on individuals' doors and being, hey, do you want to buy the share again? So the way they do this is they go through and they list themselves on a stock exchange. There's very big process for this to happen and it's quite a big decision for a company to decide which stock exchange they're going to list on but essentially the first time that they ever do this and they tend to only do this once is called an initial public offering so that's what IPO stands for and that is the first time that a private company is ever going trying to get capital which is just a synonym for money into the business from the general public And so investment bankers will tend to help them to decide, okay, you know, yeah, you want to IPO, this is what you need to do, and they guide them through the process. And then you'll hear a lot of hype in the media, oh, this company's planning to IPO, and that, that's really what it is. It's the first time that they're planning to give access to, to you and I to be able to buy their shares. And that's basically primary market. Can you talk about the difference between primary and secondary market? Yeah, so... Say, for example, delivery recently IPO'd, right? When it first comes on the market, it's not that we can immediately access it because we're trying to buy it through a broker. Say, in this case, I use Trading212. So it took hours after it had already officially IPO'd for it to show up on the platform that was trying to buy it from. So that's primary market. They're selling for the first time specific like new shares. shares. Exactly, from the yep. business. Whereas secondary is what most people buy, right? Like I, if you're not buying from a company that just IPO'd, you're always trading on the secondary exchange, like on the secondary market. You're buying through someone else. Like as we mentioned before, you're buying from another seller. You just don't know who he is, he or she is. <laughs> And uh, the, the interesting thing, so I worked, I was actually an intern in a, in a French bank working on uh you know, on, on IPOs and, and capital increase and stuff like that. So you're talking about, you know, the bankers work, preparing all the documentation, the, the prospectus and stuff. And you can go actually and, you know, Deliveroo, when they, they did the IPO, you can go and check the prospectus, Pension B, they did the IPO. You can also go into this document that's like such a big document describing how the company works, the price of the shares, how they decided the valuation. And you learn a lot about the activities of the company. So if you've never done that, it's quite a cool exercise to be honest you don't need to read everything but a, a lot of work has been put into it maybe just to take a step back once you've bought a stock so in one of these companies how do you make money from stocks <laughs> good question there's two ways really i'd say that you can make money um you can go down the i want to make income from this i.e i want the company to pay me a dividend so a dividend really is 
a company's way of saying, hey, thank you for riding out this the ups and down with us. You now own a piece of us. So here's a little thank you gift. It's a dividend. It's some money that will come to, you, to your account. But you have two options. You can ask for the, the, the platform that you're using to either pay it into your back account or just reinvest it. Um, but yeah, that's the one way you could go down and just say, you know, I'm trying to make some income out of this. The other way is gains. So that is you think you having a long term view on your investment and saying, well, actually, I will buy this. Hopefully it's low now. And over the years, it will grow and grow and grow and grow, which is the general trend of the market. The average growth every year is about eight percent you could say obviously after covid it's it's a bit of a funny time to be talking about this but in generals but average yeah average over the long term yeah exactly yeah so you're either there to buy now hold for the 10 20 30 years and then sell it later on i actually quite enjoy doing this sometimes but if you go and google and check, check any company and just put i don't know pension b share price and you can see sort of when how much did it you know first get listed and how has it been progressing or pick an older company like Facebook how much could you have bought Facebook like 10 years ago and see like how it's grown because it gives you an indication of how quickly your money could have grown if it was sitting in some of these you know companies versus it sitting in your bank account and just earning a little bit of interest so yeah it's a very powerful tool to grow your your wealth and now that's so we've talked about a few companies and there's this share price but the share price is usually derived from a lot from investors' perception. So it's derived, of course, from you know the, the, the results of the company, the management. But the perception is quite a big thing. And we've seen that like very recently uh, with like some you know American stocks. So a big thing is like investors' confidence. So what for you drives you know the, the price of, of a stock? Because the price is going to be set at the time of the IPO. So let's say it's 10 pounds and then it's going to start trading. But the price may go to 12 pounds or it may go to eight pound like very quickly so what is going to impact the price of a stock in the short and the and the long term so a lot of it and i think we've seen it a lot with some of the stocks from from reddit and things like that right there is hype there is demand like if there is more demand for something than there is supply then the price is going to go up but fundamentally that is just external factors right you also need to think okay is this company actually going to do well you know it's something that you know, if it's a company that's selling a product that you don't think that in the next 10, 20 years will be useful, then, you know, it's probably not something that you'd want to put your money in and bet on. So I think there's a lot of factors that come into play. The main things that I'd sort of look at firsthand is, okay, are they actually making money? Because that's important, right? If they're not making money, then it's a downward spiral into, you know, debt and, and non-existence, really. So that's one but also profitability. So this is what, all the money that's come in and after all the money has gone out for all the, you know, almost like us, right? We earn salaries or whatever, or trading income and we have expenses. How much do they actually have like disposable income to, to spend and to then give back to the investor, right? Ideally. So if they're profitable, that's that's also important. But really it's also about thinking about the wider market. Do you see this company growing in, in value over the next couple of years. And some people are visionaries. They could have seen, you know, the internet coming and, and, and growing. And some people thought it was too risky. So I think it is also sometimes boils down to personal opinion and, and reading up on, on the industry and the market, which is why picking stocks is so time consuming. And sometimes people prefer to go down the route of putting it in a fund where someone else is doing the work for you and you just need to put the money in. Yeah. And then 
based on this because there's going to be a difference between the price of the stock and the sort of like theoretical value, interesting value of a stock. And I'm not going to ask you to go into company valuation because we could do that, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, like in three hours with uh, sharing an Excel file. Yeah. But how to, and I mean, that was one of my jobs, so I can talk a little bit about that. But how do you value companies and stocks? And, and, and how do we do this exercise, for example, when we IPO the company? So if we IPO Vespod tomorrow, how is anyone going to define, you know, how much uh, is this company worth? And then, uh, you know, what's the price of a, of a share? Yeah, so there's really there's two ways to think of it. There's, you can either look at it internally, like with internal numbers or external numbers without comparing this company versus other companies in the industry, right? The industry is important and I, I bring it up because different industries will have different number expectations, you could say. And therefore, you can't compare, you know, a, a Facebook to a next, it just doesn't, they're completely different business models. So that's the other thing. But if you look, if you had the internal data, you'd look at cash flow. So sort of seeing, okay, you know, are they making enough money? How much money is outflowing out of the company? And then you'd come up with some sort of value today that you think that the company has. But there's also other metrics. So that you could look at like the the earnings before income tax and depreciation. So there's uh, other metrics that you could look at uh, to compare to, to other businesses. Yeah, no, I, I mean, of course, that was my job more. I mean, I worked in, in private equity. For me, that was really like, you know, working on, on determining the, the value of the companies we were buying. And, and you're right, it's, you know, looking at, uh, of course, the, you know, income statements, like balance sheet, cash flow, how healthy is this company, and then trying to project the performance of the company. How do you think the company will do over the next, you know, five to 10 years, work on, you know, business plan, usually, you know, with management, if you can, if you're working on the side of the, of the management or otherwise, like, you know, having your own assumptions and then doing the, you know, the present value of, of this cash flow. So how much do you think this company is worth today? So that's one way to do it. Another one is maybe, as you say, like comparing, you know, within the same industry, how are other businesses valued? And maybe you can, you can apply like a multiple to revenues or to earnings. I mean, depending on, you know, what the, what the company is doing. When you value public company, this is much easier than valuing private companies, of course, because you're going to have all this set of financials. And I guess that's your job. It's yeah. looking at, you know, the, the financials of, of, of the company. So where where do you find your information and what do you look at? Yeah, this It's so important to point that out, isn't it? Because, you know, companies are very careful about what they put out there. And I think, you know, there is a lot of information in the public domain, but there's also a lot of information that's not. And so, uh, yeah, totally echo that, that, you know, when you're looking say crowdfunding it, there's no proper information so you, you're almost making an assumption a lot of assumptions so that's why it's deemed risky whereas when you're investing in shares of public companies it's so much easier in that if you did want to find something out it probably is out there in the public domain specifically in financial statements which are big documents that document all the income that the company would have made and all its expenses in what's called the uh, the income statement then it would have the uh, the balance sheet, which is sometimes referred to as the statement of financial position, which is basically a summary of all the assets and all the liabilities, i.e. all the outflows that the business might have, uh, as well as all the equity sitting in there. And then finally, you have the, the cash flow, which is because sometimes, it, you know, I may have earned money, but I've not received the cash. And that's why the, the income statement doesn't match the, the cash flow. And that's what the cash flow statement is. It's just a summary of the, the ingoings and outgoings of, of the money and it almost reconciles 
the cash at the beginning of the year and the cash at the end of the year. So those are, I'd say, the, the three most important statements. You, of course, then have like loads of footnotes where they explain a lot of the background behind this. So if you're really looking to learn more about, maybe start with the company you work at, right? Like start to find out a little more about how is your company doing, you know? And, and looking at those financial statements, you don't have to read the whole thing. I don't think anyone ever reads the whole thing. I mean, kudos if you do. <laughs> but start with the little bits that you're interested in and, and, and trying to just get a bit of a feel because once you do that for your own company and you can kind of relate, you, you can do that more easily for other companies because the the layout is very identical, you could say. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd look at the the revenue and whether they're doing well and profitable, as I said, but then also looking at, do they have a lot of liabilities, right? Do they have a lot of debt? Like the same way that we have, right? When we're trying to apply for a mortgage, a bank will look at us and say, does this person have a lot of debt? And uh, you should do the same for a business. So there's a ratio that you could use called the debt to equity ratio, just to see, you know, how how, is, how much debt is there. You can also look at how liquid is the, the company. So that's important because, Yes, the money, the company can be asset rich, but doesn't mean that they're cash rich. And sometimes it's very important for companies to balance that out, right? You may look at people. It's the same reason for why you can look at someone that's really, really rich and they can go bankrupt because even though they have loads of assets and they might own, you know, multi-million dollar houses, they don't have the cash to pay their bills. <laughs> and that's just, you know, why some rich people can go broke. And the same way for a business. So they can have tons of assets that then can't be easily converted into cash. And therefore, if they're very low on liquid assets, then there's a risk of them, the company going backward as well. So those are sort of the, the types of things I would look at. Yeah, you're right. Like picking stocks is, uh, you know, is a minefield and yeah. uh, it can be very complicated. And that's, you know, why looking at investing via funds uh, is a better option. But I guess we're doing this exercise today because it's quite interesting to know what's behind a stock because often we think it's just, yeah, as you say, maybe a piece of paper, <laughs> but there's a lot of things that, that are taken into account into, uh, into a stock. And the other way companies can finance themselves is actually by borrowing money. So they can borrow money from banks and stuff, but they can also borrow money from people like you and me. And this is called a bond. So can you explain to us a little bit more about what bonds are? Why do we use them? And as retail investor, why sometimes we would use bonds or we would use uh, shares in our portfolios? Yeah. So I like to explain that actually a bond exactly is that it's a loan, but we actually only call it a bond because uh, rather than a loan, because loans aren't really tradable. Like I can go and be like, here, have my loan or, you know, they're not tradable. So that's why we call it bonds. I always do that association because I remember when I was first learning all the jargon, it was kind of difficult to, to pick it all up. So as you've said, Emily, there's two ways that either uh, that we can invest in bonds. We can either invest in bonds of companies that are looking to, to raise money, but also governments. So governments sometimes actually reach out to their people and they say, hey, you know, I actually, we actually need a little bit of money. Uh, would you be willing to, to give us some money? We will then pay you back some interest. And actually in the UK, they're called gilts. And in different countries, they're called different things. But bonds and gilts are basically exactly the same thing. And it's a fantastic way to, to invest and to make money because yes, it's low risk, because the money that you get back is guaranteed. Like, you know you're going to get that money. Like, the chance of the government disappearing is very, very small. And with the company as well, you you know, there's there's a promise that you're getting that money back. So even if tomorrow the company doesn't seem to be doing well and has to wind up, you get priority over a shareholder to get your money back. So it's deemed lower risk. You can look at ratings also for bonds to see if, you know, they're like 
a good grade is usually, yeah, it's less risky. So you would get a lower interest or coupon, but of course the guarantee to get your money back. But if you go for something that's really like low grade or junk bonds, yeah. <laughs> uh, you have, I mean, the guarantee of getting your money back is maybe smaller, but that's also why you will get a much higher uh, coupon because you're, you're, you're taking a, you know, higher risk on your money. And, and the same can be applied, I guess, to government, the UK government, uh, the guilds, usually you would get your money back. But if you invest in some more like, you know, tricky regions, yeah, more risk, potentially more return, but yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing guaranteed. Exactly, exactly. So there, there is always like, a scale to these things right it's not black and white there's very much gray and yeah so even though we tend to put bonds into this box of low risk yeah there you can absolutely there's some that are more risky and some that are less risky but generally bonds are deemed less risk than shares because of that promise that you're going to get your money back whereas with shares the dividend is just just a thank you when things go bad like with covid lots of companies had to say well we can't pay that back so it's not guaranteed and that's really the, the key difference between those two can you, I mean, we, we talked about that a little bit, but can you explain to me the relationship between risk and returns and why, you know, shares are more risky, bonds tend to be less risky and cash is even, you know, less risky than, than bonds. And w- what type of return should we expect from, you know, these different assets? Yeah. So the higher the risk, the higher the return. I think that's with anything in life, right? <laughs> so with shares they're deemed high risk and then with cash it's like no risk right you know you're going to have your money whereas the bonds are sort of in between that you are taking a little more risk than with cash but not as much right so yeah risk is really what what is the chance or the probability that you will not get your money back and the the lower the chance the lower the risk and therefore there tends to be the lower the return because there's no incentive really to pay you more in order for you to invest in these things because you're not taking that much risk. So that's really, really the relation. So I think if you're, if you feel like you're someone that, that won't go to bed at night, if you feel really nervous, then, you know, maybe stick with portfolios that are higher in bonds. Whereas if you're someone that's quite happy to apportion a, a big chunk of your, or a small chunk of your money and then forget about it, then yeah, maybe it's worth looking at portfolios that are higher in shares. Okay. And just to, to finish on this, I mean, fascinating like investment investing topic can you tell me you know for you and and maybe that's you know from your personal experience what is the best way for anyone to get started investing money even on a very small scale and just get us get a feeling of of the market because for me that's one thing is you can read a lot about the market. You can listen to all my podcasts. <laughs> you know, you can come to uh, our courses and stuff. But I think getting there's something in getting started and having some some skin in the game. So how did you start and what are your, your best tips for getting started? Yeah, I think the first step for me was acknowledging that money was emotional. I, I love to say this because I think this, this feeling that we get, right? Like, oh my God, I don't want to put the money away just in case I lose it. Like what happens if I do something really stupid and all these feelings come into place just acknowledging that that feeling is normal that we all have it we've all been through that feeling and putting yourself in a position where you feel you know confident about it or you're comfortable with that level of risk so actually I started I didn't have anyone to talk to about this because at the time there was no best board and no this girl and best and I was like you know where do I start so I actually started with an app called Moneybox. It was just rounding. That's what I felt comfortable with. I just knew I had to get started. That's the way that I felt that suited me best. And as I started to see, okay, you know, my money's not disappearing. It's all good. You know, I started to you know, have a little more confidence to use different platforms. So then I started with a, a robo advisor. And if there I was just sending, 
you know, X amount every month. And it was just getting invested for me without me being very actively involved, which I loved. And I knew that my money was doing what it was meant to do for me without me having to worry too much that I was going to, I was doing the wrong thing. After that, as I've grown a little more confident, I've started to use platforms where I can pick funds so I can choose, you know, which funds I want my money to go into. And it's been a journey and I think no one should skip steps. I think it's normal to yeah. feel that way, but take it step by step in a way that you feel that works for you with an amount that works for you. There's no right answer because everyone's financial situation is different. So um, just start. I think that would be my, my little push. <laughs> okay. I have um, three quick fire questions for you. What's the best financial decision uh, you've ever taken? Uh, for me, it was starting to invest early. I think seeing sort of my, my mom's situation and, and um, you know, seeing her as a single parent, it really incentivized me to, you know, want to start early and, you know, get in my finances in order and it took time because I think when you're in you know you haven't thought about your finances ever before sitting down and and you know looking into it takes time and effort and uh, and emotion and resistance but getting over that was definitely something I'm really proud of and the worst financial decision <laughs> oh so many <laughs> um, I have to say it's um, spending more than I should have because of FOMO I think now it's quite relevant now coming back out of lockdown right everyone's going out you're seeing people on Instagram it's so easy to, to feel oh I should be doing this and that and that I'm more able to control that now so I think yeah I definitely had some holidays where went overboard and shouldn't have <laughs> And the things you spend the most money on at the moment? I'd say investing myself. I think it's quite relevant with, you know, being at home quite a lot with COVID, you know, being able to spend some money on myself and what really, truly makes me happy. It's been quite rewarding and almost helped me refocus on where I want my money to go. So yeah, investing in myself. Thank you so much, Prana. Is there anything else you'd like to share or recommend to, uh, you know, anyone listening to this episode? Yeah, I think just back to what we said earlier, it was just get started. It's normal to feel like there's a lot of jargon, but you don't need to know everything to get started. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for taking me back to my, uh, you know, banking and, <laughs> <laughs> and private equity years. Yeah, I think I'm just going to check a few prospectus now. <laughs> but Prana, thank you. We can find you on social media. We can find you on Instagram at this girl invest. And yeah, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today on The Wallet. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please do share with a friend or on social media. It also takes two minutes to leave a review or rating on Apple Podcast. And this does really help. Thank you and chat to you next week.